Greetings, and welcome to Eavesdropping at Midnight, a series of conversations between myself and other practitioners of astrology, magic, and alchemy. If you're curious what the students of the weird sciences talk about once the sun's gone down, pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and have a listen. I'm Austin Kopic, and I'll be half the conversation. In this session, you'll be eavesdropping on my conversation with T. Susan Chang. Susie is a fellow student of The Strange, an author, a podcaster, a teacher, and perhaps most importantly, a tarot reader with no small measure of experience, skill, and insight. Uh, Susie is the author of Tarot Correspondences, Ancient Secrets for Everyday Readers, which is a fantastic guide to the Rider Wade Smith deck. And she's also the co-host of the Fortune's Wheelhouse Tarot Podcast with Mel Moline. I've known Susie for four or five years, but we've only corresponded online before. Recently, we were in the same place at the same time, and so we set aside an afternoon to do a little little chit-chatting. Uh, we recorded quite a bit of it, not one, but two podcasts worth. This is one. The other one you can find either at the Fortune's Wheelhouse Patreon or at tsusanchang.com. And so, without further ado, here's half an afternoon. All right, so welcome, T. Susan Chang, Hi, aka Susie. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are coming to you live from the uh, the green shadow, the the verdant demi monde at the uh, <laughs> the Veritas Genii Conference or G Veritas Genii Symposium, VGS Correct. for short. Yes, and not exactly live either. Well, I mean, we are live as we are speaking, but you know, yes, we're the, both there, alive. there will be a little bit of a delay for the audience. So yeah, we're in somewhere Washington, Edenville, I think it's called in the hills. Yeah, it's nice here. It is. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's 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 a uh, it's a campus of the University of Washington, I think, and yet it seems like half of hipster witch Portland is here, dressed in black. <laughs> yeah, um, it, I think that is true. It's um, so our current location. The first thing I thought of was a summer camp, mm -hmm. and which made me want to come to Witchy Herbal Summer Camp for two weeks every summer. <laughs> I actually um, shared this idea with the organizers, and I was like, I don't know if anybody else cares, I was, but I would pay and I would rearrange my schedule to come up here and just do Magical Herb Camp. Yeah, yeah. And there's something very, um, I don't know, nostalgic about coming to these cabins and there's bunk beds and there's communal showers and you feel like you're about 12 again and you just like pass the bug juice <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it, well because you don't you, you you don't encounter a summer camp style environment very much as an adult mm. unless you work in a summer camp yeah least of all among witches yeah but i um you know i i so I'm here not because I am a world-renowned expert on the occult properties of herbs, but because I'm not. Same here. Same here. Yeah, I uh, I ran across Marcus and Kat at uh, Newt's this year, and I was just fascinated by what they were doing. And uh, I have, I happen to have a travel stipend from a fellowship I'm doing this year, and I thought, you know, what better way to use it or lose it, then come out here. Oh, very nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, let's see. You know, I met Kat in 2008 mm -hmm. at the launch party for Ouroboros Press 
second volume of the Picatrix. And I attended all of the, I think I hit the first six years in a row of the Esoteric Book Conference, which she co-organized right. with William Kiesel. Mm -hmm. And so, and I've been, this is my second VGS. We meant to come last year, but life happened. But we were here the year before. And uh, you know what I was saying about which summer camp is, or herbal summer camp, you know, there's an, there's a plant or vegetative component to just about every type of magic or religious mm. ceremony. If there's incense, you're in the plant kingdom already. Mm. And, you know, I'm, and I would say that there's a timing component to just about every rite that one might practice, no matter where you're from. And so I'm really good at the timing. Like I <laughs> You don't say. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> I've specialized in that, so I can fine tune it, and I know if somebody, it's like, oh, you're supposed to do it on the second Sunday of the month leading up to the summer solstice, I'm like, oh, that's solar, right? Right. Whereas, you know, I can look at a recipe, like, I don't know, like one of the Bohemian star recipes, where it's like, yeah, this star, this herb, and this stone, and I'm like, I guess I'll do a Google search for where I can buy that herb. The logic of that assignment doesn't immediately unfold for me because I don't know my mm -hmm. plants well enough. And so, you know, what I was saying uh, to Kat Marcus was I was like, you know, if, you know, I would like to come up here for just herbal training. Let's do like two hours. <laughs> Let's do two hours a day led by somebody who knows, uh, you know, uh, biochemical, magical, experiential lore, just like, you know, I'll eat every plant, just like shove the knowledge in. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting because even though, you know, this isn't either of our specialties, we're, this entire conference is astro and tarot adjacent. You know, there's any number of readers here. And I was just walking around with my Fortune's Wheelhouse bag and people are coming up saying, oh, I listened to that podcast. Where'd you get that bag? <laughs> and the answer is it's uh, 1995 <laughs> at HTT. Yes, that's right. At the Red Bubble Shop. But no, I think, you know, for me, working my way into the plant world has been a really long journey because I started out as a, well, food writer about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then living in the country, of course, makes you a gardener mm -hmm. of vegetables. And then, you know, and then I spent a couple of years doing sustainability work and writing wellness policy and stuff like that. That was just another random fellowship. So, you know, so coming out here has been strange because it's only fairly recently that I've started looking at plants from a magical point of view specifically. Mm -hmm. It really happened when I started writing tarot correspondences, you mm. know, right? Because, because I'm knee deep in Agrippa mm -hmm. and going, oh, you know, all the stuff that all these plants that have been my allies in other ways for a really long time you know, apparently they've been talking to me this entire time and I haven't been listening. So, so it's been really interesting for me just through the lens of natural correspondence is to kind of try and wait, work my way in to the more magical side of things from the strictly divinatory side of things. That makes sense. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 we could say that I started with or started with astrology. I actually started tarot earlier than astrology, right. and I technically started the Yijing before I started tarot, but I didn't go as heavy into the Yijing um, or tarot as I went into astrology. I went a lot heavier into tarot than I went into the Yijing. 
Um, there's a little bit of Yijing stuff that ended up being relevant in some of the martial arts that I studied. And sure. I like the, mm, the construction of complex patterns out of simple binaries that the Yijing uses. Um, but I didn't, I didn't use it that much as an Oracle. Whereas I've done all the, well, not all of the astrology in the world, but that's the goal. And Tara, Tara has been my, my consistent friend for a long time. And I was lucky enough to encounter, um, a functional table of correspondences between the two really early on. Mm. And so that, that, you know, that helped it not be two disjointed things. Like they're different. What, Golden Dawn, right from the start? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I found out about the uh, the Deccans and, mm -hmm. the, and and the Pip cards and uh, the the standard Golden Dawn attributions, uh, planet and sign attributions to the um, uh, to the majors. Like I don't know, I was twenty one. Wow! So that was just yeah. in my head from the beginning, and I thought it was super nice. cool. Nice. Yeah, I don't think I got around to them until. Um... Oh, probably until my 30s, um, but then I'm older than you fairly significantly. And and at that point, of course, I had kids. And <laughs> and I remember I was like, you know, very interested in the, um, in the decanic correspondences uh, of the minors, the numeric minors. And I had no idea, you know, because I wasn't coming from an astrology background that there was a pattern. You know, I was just trying to brute force memorize them mm. you know um suit by suit which is not really the way to do it right because it goes sign by sign really and i didn't yeah. know about chaldean order i didn't know about any of that so i would like take my kid to swim class and i would get <laughs> in the lake and start swimming back and forth and trying to remember you know that saturn in leo goes with the five of wands and i got really in shape that summer actually and it took me all summer until i realized that Hey, there are there are patterns in here, and the patterns make sense. Yeah, yeah. Just the, I mean, the the first three are cardinal, and cardinal is right. supposed to go first, right? right? And then right. fixed, and then mutable, and that's supposed exactly. to be beginning, middle, end energy. Exactly. Yeah. No, it, it <laughs> I, it's it's so ridiculous because I think it was like you know, in this day and age, you expect to have all knowledge at the ends of your fingertips at all moments and that you really don't have to do stupid things like, you know, not see the pattern. Uh, you don't have to waste time like that. But something about being a parent reduces your efficiency at finding <laughs> the things that you need from an intellectual point of view. <laughs> that makes like sense. Like everything about being a parent, not something about being a parent. I will take your word for it. <laughs> that seems to be the case. It's a, uh, you have a lot less free mental uh, I, I just think of my computer when it, it gives me a warning mm -hmm. that there's not that, uh, that too many processes running yeah or that there's not much memory remaining yes and yes. i need to delete something if i want to make room that's <laughs> you don't delete the child that's the problem <laughs> right you have to work around that you're like okay what else don't what, what can i get rid of yeah but yeah, but I, I was lucky enough. I think that was, how did I get that? I think that was uh, a book on magic and Kabbalah and stuff by William Gray mm. that I found at the used bookstore in the college town I was at. And it was like, yeah, here's the card here. It, it just had the, that, the Golden Dawn map 
of the the cards and the astrology. I was yeah. like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Well, it especially makes a lot of sense because I was- Well, really, coming from where you were coming from, particularly. Yeah, and co- right. r- looking at a, a Rider weight deck or a Thoth deck, which are built with that in mind. Explicitly in the Thoth and implicitly in the Rider weight Smith, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, the, the Rider weight has the- has that sort of interesting come an interesting origin story with the the artist what's her what's Pamela Coleman Smith yeah, Pamela Coleman Smith yeah mm-hmm. Pixie was what came to mind but I wanted Pixie, to remember her yeah. full name yeah and actually I prefer to use her full name because there's a there's a there's a there's a trend towards treating her with great familiarity which I feel suspicious of <laughs> but what, what's interesting to me is that that deck is the result of a very, how should we say, artistic Dionysian intuitive sensibility mm. and weights extremely bookish Dewey Decimal correspondence <laughs> perspective. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, and and so uh, I don't know. The uh, it it's, it has both of those qualities. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. I mean, I think. You know, the interesting thing about Pamela Coleman Smith is that she just seemed to vacuum up all of the <laughs> sort of esoteric uh, atmosphere around her without necessarily doing it in a systematic way. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the minors, I think Waite gave her really very little to go on, actually. And she um, managed to come up with some some very in- interesting images that in some cases are, you know, uncannily connected to the Deccans. Yeah, there are some that are basically the same image you see in the Astrolabium Planum or in mm-hmm. Agrippa, mm-hmm. and there's no evidence that she went to those and was like, "I'll use that." Um, yeah, but she, you know, um, she partook of the essence of the thing, and that's what it looked like. Right, right, and that's one of the reasons that you know, interpretationally, a lot of the time I get very frustrated when people try to say, well, this card means this, you know, specifically this and not this, or, you know, try to pin down the meanings excessively because it was a huge, big soup in her head, honestly. And, you know, although there are certain things, certain certain spheres of meaning that surround each card, you know, to say that there's any one specific meaning that attaches itself that's, you know, and that there are anything else is wrong drives me up a freaking wall. Right. Well, there it's context dependent, right? Yes. Like the context of the question, the the context of the questioner, the context of what is this card? What, you know, what position is this card in the context of which cards are around it? The context of which deck it is. Yes. And, you know, one thing that's been really interesting for me is, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but, you know, I have this massive spreadsheet for the last four years of every card I've drawn. And um, <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a huge pile of data. But, you know, I can, I can break it down any number of ways. I can, you know, look at how much of each element I've gotten, I've, mm. the frequency of each card. And, and what happened? It's a it's a diary as well and a spell journal. So every single thing that's happened to me regarding the cards is now chronicled. And I can look back and say, honestly, if I look back and ask myself, you know, 
what does the five of pentacles look like for me? Mm -hmm. I can do that and see that it manifests in many, many different ways and in many, many different contexts. And yet it still has a through line, a feeling, mm -hmm. you know, an emotion about it that, um, that is consistent. And <laughs> well, so I want to yeah. sideline this very briefly. So I find there, you know, if you ask me about cards and you give me five or 10 minutes, I'll try to bore my way into what I think the essence of the thing is, which can manifest in a lot of ways. But I also have, I've also, and I think a lot of readers get this, I've developed a sort of, when the card is just saying a quick sentence to me, right? There are certain cards that come up in certain yeah. positions where it's just like, like for, for example, um, I'll get the, the five of pentacles upside down yeah, and I'll be like, don't worry about it, stupid. Yeah. Like stop worrying so much. Yeah. Um, you know, or the, uh, another sh sort of short answer one I'll get is the seven of one or seven of swords, which is just like, leave the situation, like stop trying to solve all this. Just let, like, just leave. Just pack, you know, it's, you know, mm -hmm. take your ball and go home. Yeah. And I think that that's something, obviously, you can really only get with spending a lot of time with the cards and just having this personal language that develops between you and the cards. It's not something that you're going to get out of a little white book or something you're going to, you know, and pick up from weight. it's related to what you read in it the little white book? It is absolutely related. But it's different when you've, you've gotten that 20 times and it's just the yeah. like, you know, shut up and stop worrying, dummy. <laughs> right. And like, I need that from time to time. So <laughs> that may be yeah. why that's come up. Yeah. I will also get the, uh, the inverted nine of swords for that. Mm -hmm. Like, dude, stop stressing about it. There's nothing. You don't need to stay up at night worrying about it. There's nothing to worry about here. Mm -hmm. This is literally just you. This is like, you know, um, should we say this is you getting stuck in one of your things. This is mm -hmm. not an interacting with external reality thing. Right. Right. Yeah, I get a combination of, um, well, I draw two cards every day. And uh, there are 3,003 two card combinations. Did you know that? <laughs> I have gotten 59. No, I've gotten 30, 41% of them so far in four years of tracking. So it could take me the rest of my life, honestly. But one of the ones I've gotten the most often is a combination of the 10 of wands and the fool. Oh, and, that's interesting. Uh, it's really interesting because there's this combination of trying to do way too much, which is normal, right? That's a ton of wands. And then the fool. And, you know, and I've found that to mean that I should literally just breathe. So the fool, of course, is elemental air, right? Mm -hmm. And then the ten of wands is the is Saturn in Sagittarius, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, it's like the fire has been you know, tamped down to this tiny ember and it needs oxygen to be brought back to life. Hmm. So that's something that I find works really well for me to just breathe when I get those two cards. That's really interesting. That makes it rediscovering the, uh, the, the spirit of adventure with which the journey was begun, which is most easy to forget during the crushing burden phase of exactly, bringing it to completion. Exactly. When you're whipping the horse to death on its way to its final destination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's one I know well. Yeah. Um, partially because I, uh, I have a fair number of clients who have Saturn, the third decan of Sagittarius, mm -hmm. right? Cause that's yeah. people born, um, it parts of 87 and parts of 88. Sure. Right. Sure. And so they're around. 
Yeah. And that card comes up for them because that's, yeah. you know, in, in speaking about the astrological correspondences, if you're aware what cards your chart corresponds to, especially if you have a, a, a planet that rules a decan in that decan, well, yes. you'll get that card a lot and it'll be like, hey, remember this? This is always going to come up. You you know you're gonna get good at this or die trying mm-hmm. <laughs> or die ignoring it mm-hmm. or whatever, but it's gonna keep coming up. Yeah, I'd actually really love to get super granular on that in the next hour in part two of this series, which you should <laughs> subscribe to on both of our uh, channels. But one thing I wanted to ask you about was, you know, so we have this sort of personal language of the cards that speaks to us with in very specific ways. But when you read for other people, how much of that do you rely on? Well, if it's me throwing the cards mm-hmm. with my deck, then all of that or almost all of that applies because mm-hmm. they're, you know, just like like with a good friend, you will, you know, let's say with all my good friends, I speak English, mm-hmm. but we will have like ways of saying things or, you know, abbreviated uh, methods of communicating. Yeah, you have would, an idiom that's grown up between you. Right, that, yeah. that would be unclear to somebody who didn't have the context of the friendship. Mm-hmm. And so if it's me reading with my deck, then my cards will will give me shorthand like that. Yes, yes, I think that's true. And there's another thing that I do you know, with clients. I mean, yes, it's my language. It's <laughs> my, <laughs> my monkey, my circus. But, um, but at the same time, I like to give them a choice of several different decks because that way I sort of figure, okay, they've got an initial connection with the imagery that they chose, mm-hmm. you know, an initial connection with the deck. And invariably what happens is that there's always something that the artist has chosen to do within that specific card that has a specific message for the client. And to me, that's, you know, it's wonderful because it's, um, you know, to some degree, it's always the interpretation depends on me and everything I bring to that card. But there's also a dialogue going on that I have no control over. And I really love that. Yeah, that's nice. I see. I mostly read for people over the phone uh, yes, or over yeah. Skype. Mm-hmm. And so they don't get to see the cards as much. I will mm-hmm. always describe the situation that the figure figures are in yeah, and relate that to, you know, to what's going on and try to translate that into, you know, a lived human situation. Um, but because I'm not sitting across from a table where the person can look at the card the entire time, um, that level, the visual, I, I'm the one looking at the cards the whole time. So I don't have yeah. that happen as much. So, so just talking about, you know, the sort of reader client relationship, what do you think oracularly in the oracular moment, what do you think is going on? What's your theory? I'm interviewing you now. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Um, I think a lot of things are going on. Mm. And I, 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 I would say the first thing you need to do is try to parse the layers of what's happening um, rather than try to go for, try to, to find the singular thing. And, you know, and for me, part of my thinking about that is what's the same when I'm doing astrology and tarot, what's different, what are the different mechanisms? Um, one of the obvious part, one of the obvious differences 
is the signifiers mm. are in a chart are arranged by nature, right? By the orbit of the planets, mm -hmm. um, by the moment of birth, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, you don't, you don't, you can't reshuffle your chart. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and so that's obviously different. But um, I do think that there is, how do I say, I, I have less ideas and I, I suppose I have less thinking about what exactly is happening and I have more thoughts about how do I facilitate the best possible version of that, mm -hmm. right? So I, I've, uh, for a long time, um, with increasing certainty and confidence, I have ritualized my half of the reading and arranged circumstances so that the the client or if it's a friend or whatever is mm -hmm. entering into a reading space rather than even if it sounds like we're having a casual conversation it's the kind of conversation that happens in reading space it's intrinsically different yeah um so for me i do i do do little prayers do some prayers um for a while um See, for I think my first version of that, there was a prayer to a particular power that I'm acquainted with. It's good at good at find, navigating the underworld tunnels. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, okay, mm -hmm. so let us, you know, let us hear what can I. Hermes? Hermes? Um, uh, Baron, uh, Baron okay. Sande, yeah. um, who has some overlapping functions. Mm -hmm. um, but it's like, okay, so if we're going to go into the places where this person can't see clearly, mm -hmm. um, or maybe I can't see clearly, let us still be able to navigate those places. And then I would do, um, and then I do sort of the opposite one, which is like, let's, let us see what can be seen. Let us, let me speak what can be heard, right? Let's, exactly. let's, let me make sure we also um, call the powers of being able to state the obvious. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I feel like there's a, a lot of me getting out of the way, you know? I mean, when I sit down to read, first of all, it's just a different feeling, a different feeling in my body. I remember when I first started reading tarot that I, I'm a very tactile person, so it was almost like a, a sort of a buzzing sensation, like a, a hive of bees inside me. Mm. And um, that's a little bit overdramatic, but it's it's not dissimilar to that. And when I read for people, I often find that, you know, it's almost as if I'm in some place, some third place with them that's not the reading room, right? And it's the boundaries are so porous that often, you know, I'll be crying before they've gotten to the sad part, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's a really weird sensation for an extremely left-brained person to get used to yeah yeah <laughs> i um yeah i think you know in terms of i i feel like i've had to part of what astrology and tarot and a couple other things have helped me do is sort of become as left-brained as i am and as right-brained as i am rather than being like fake fake left brain dominant mm -hmm. um I, yeah i know what I, you're talking there, about there's a there's a cultural layer where you know especially if you go to college where you're kind of taught to be fake left brain oh god yeah um and yeah. so and i and i got a little bit of that from the family and this and that just you know it's it's 
it's in the air. Um, it's it's in the air. All of us breathe. I mean, it, there's such a heavy um, left brain bias that you know people are. It's almost irrational, really, which is ironic. Yes. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and that's something that like. I mean, that's why I came to Tarot really was for the possibility of surrender, you know, to stop living up here and find but, the rest of me. But you wouldn't be nearly as good at Tarot if you didn't have that Dewey Decimal system up there. And Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing about Tarot is that it forces us to have a very strong relationship with the verbal, you know? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's an... Uh, Kind of an ironic thing, and I that I've discussed mostly in the context of astrology, mm -hmm. but it's equally because I've just I've taught more astrology classes, mm -hmm. um, where it's like, yeah, you, you know, to be an astrologer, you need to be able to verbalize like crazy to benefit from astrology, or to be to understand what a chart is saying. Doesn't necessarily require crazy verbal capacity, but to be able to communicate that to another person. Taxes yes. the the verbal capacity heavily. <laughs> it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And I think that that's. I don't know. Maybe. Do you think that that's? Do you think that that's? You know, endemic to just the art of divination generally. The idea that there has to be, you know, this balance between left and right. This balance between the utterance and you know, and, and the thought, I mean, th I think there's a relationship with the word that's just different in divination. Yeah, I absolutely. I, I remember thinking when I was first getting really into astrology, said early late nineties, early two thousands, that I wasn't entirely convinced that the structure of astrology adequately described the structure of the real, mm. but <laughs> what's the real <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, right. The discernible real. Mm -hmm. um, but I thought to myself that this, it was um, part of the way I justified my increasing interest in it was that it was, if nothing else, a miraculous form of exercise for the mind because it required a dialogue between the rational, analytic, image-making, and intuitive faculties. Yeah, and that you, you know, all of that—that's all in the in the stew. Um, and what yeah. you serve is the is something that um, you know is a product of all of those. And I thought, you know, I, I thought that I, I was so I have a Gemini moon, and mm. I've always felt. Um, how should we put this? Mm, caged in duality or polarity. It's funny, right? I'm Pisces, Sun, Gemini, Moon. And Gemini is the process of dividing into two. So you can, mm. you know, you take the one, turn Which it decan? into two. Uh, middle decan. Mm. Um, Lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can cover more ground, yeah. right? Um, <clears throat> and there are a lot of benefits to polarizing, right? Um, mm -hmm. As a strategy. Um, and that's what Gemini represents. Pisces deals with the same subject matter. It deals with the dual, um, but it is the formula for dissolving the distinctions and bringing the the two back into the original one from which they emerged. Right? Yeah. And so I was. Yeah. I I have. I wrote. A, I I wrote. Um, I constructed this giant mon mandala sort of painting when I was seventeen um, of like a 
uh, it's complicated, but it was basically those contending forces. Uh, it was the, the subject was a giant wheel that contained a Tai Chi symbol, but it was getting ripped apart, but it there were forces basically trying to keep it as one and forces, uh, attempting to tear it apart and, you know, this and that. And that was before I knew any of my astrology. Mm. And so, but anyway, I've always been, I've always been very interested in, being able to return the estranged two into the one or at least get them communicating. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely know what you're talking about. I mean, I have a similar, um, you know, Pisces Virgo thing going on cause I'm Pisces rising and, um, Virgo sun and Mercury. It's loaves and fishes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That may- and you have nodes there, right? I have nodes there just like you. Yeah. yeah. And Kate. Mm-hmm. Yep. And my husband, yeah. Kate, Kate and I are very. We live. We're we're on that axis. Yeah. You will find us yeah. there, with on the meticulous Virgo side and mm-hmm. the the slobbity Pisces side. <laughs> yes. Slobbity but wise. Yes. yes. <laughs> Most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I I sort of feel like you know part of coming into tarot was, you know, learning to accept those gifts, those gifts of dissolution. Mm. You know. Because you know, as a I was a book editor before, and really, I always felt like I was cheating because I already know how to do all that stuff. I already know how to you know break down words and edit them and slice and dice them. I don't need to do that so much in this lifetime. It's mm-hmm. just a tool, you know. But coming to terms with uh, the fact that at some level I see things and I know things, mm-hmm. you know, has been the work of tarot for me for 20 years that's interesting i would say that tarot presents a stronger and more direct challenge Mm. to uh let's say a rational analytic perspective than astrology does well that's exactly why i embraced it actually because you know i felt that astrology you know for me at the time back in the late 90s also you know was something that i could definitely learn it was something that i definitely enjoyed the systematic nature, but it was too, um, tarot forced me to accept more impossible things, if you know what I mean. It's sort of like, you can pretend there's, you know, some kind of, at least at the, you know, at the level I was at that time, you can, you, there's so much more sort of, um, implication of cause in astrology than there is in tarot yeah not even, that, even if it is know, a mysterious even if it's mysterious call, even yeah. if like we're not sure why we don't have the the mechanism entirely for why mars's position will affect inflammatory conditions or wars or whatever we still know that the the sphere of mars and all things connected to it move along with that thing that we can plot and predict the movement of. That's right. That's right. It's not going to change. Right. Like one of the ways when people ask me or when I'm trying to explain the relationship between tarot and astrology, you know, one way to put it or one way that I have put it is we know where the cards are going to be forever with astrology. We can look at an ephemeris and see that Mars will be in exactly this degree in 2173. Mm -hmm. And so in a sense, you know what, um, what, what the universe is or what our solar system, what cards our solar system is dealing and when. 
Whereas yeah. you can't do that with like, you can't say, like, oh, what's the not. third card you're going to draw <laughs> five readings from now? There's no, no it's for perfect that. randomness. Well, you know, basically perfect randomness. And that's really what I felt was necessary for me to be at peace with turning off the left brain. I really cannot know. And it, literally, I would say to myself, and I still do today, that after I've drawn the cards and they're still face down, until the moment I see them, they could be anything, you know. It's, 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 you know, a, a quantum non-observable state, right? So it's like, it, they could be lying there, but that doesn't mean that they are anything specific until my eyes, you know, rest on them and it turns into something concrete. Oh, I like that. Uh, that's um, one of the best usages of quantum I physics know. stuff. Cause, <laughs> yeah, there's a because lot there's of a lot of bad uses. ones, but I think that, um, <laughs> that, that puts most of them to shame. So here's a question. Um, so, or, well, here's a statement, then a question. So statement is, um, I think that, especially with tarot, but also with astrology to some degree, but especially with tarot, um, you have to accept that there are certain mysteries that are in play, um, that some of the engines shall remain shrouded, um, but you can still figure out best practice in terms of how to relate mm. to those uh, to those mysterious things. And that's part of what I was saying earlier with... I don't know what is the reading space, but I have methods, I have best practice methods for how to facilitate uh, entering it, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. here's a question. Um, do you, uh, do you, uh, a lot of people, including myself, have the experience um, with tarot of interacting with an intelligence, and so how do you, do you have that experience and what do you make of it? And mm. how does that shape your practice at all? Yeah. Um, so I do not, I did in the beginning, at least I tried to, because I felt that's how it was supposed to be done. But now it's more like I plug into the wall, you know, it's like, it's, it's more like an electrical charge. It's like I'm either on or I'm off, mm -hmm. right? And once I I'm, hate the feeling of being not quite on mm -hmm. and not sure what I need to do to like get fully like I'm I'm <laughs> next to it, but like through a sheet. Like I can yeah. feel the texture of them. Like I'm it's not skin on skin with whatever yeah, that is. I know is. what you mean. I know what you mean. And you know, I actually nowadays I, it's pretty easy for me to get there because I know what it feels like in my body. But I will sometimes, if my body's not doing so great, I will, um, I will, I will, I will use a tool. You know, I um, <laughs> when I started reading for people in public for the first time, which was a couple of years ago, three years ago, after reading, you know, behind closed doors for a really long time, I uh, I started doing it in a crystal shop, mm -hmm. and you know, <laughs> it's a, it's um. It's in Northampton, Massachusetts, and it's just a little back room. They have a, a psychic reader every day. And I just walked up and said, you know, I, I'd really like to read for you guys. And, you know, and of course, because this is the way these things work, somebody had just canceled like, the previous week and they needed somebody. So um, so I started reading and <laughs> and this, this, this shop is literally chock full of rocks, right? You know, just from ceiling to floor. It's one of those places and my attitude towards that in the beginning was, that's so cute. You know, <laughs> look at all those adorable rocks you think mean something. 
And I just kind of ignored them. I'd walk around. Condescending material. Well, exactly. You elitist one percenter. But I would walk around them with my tea and sort of read the little signs. And I feel like tea know. is a really nice prop for being condescending. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the pinky. You as know. far as beverages go. <laughs> <laughs> and, you it's know. hard to be condescending with like a bottle of Gatorade. Yeah. But you know what happened? Over time, I would just find myself gravitating towards a rock, you know, or another rock or another rock. And, you know, now it's like. I will literally grab the rock the minute I need help, you know. And so I'll use I use a lot of black tourmaline. Mm, I use I like hematite. Tourmaline. Yeah, I like the black stones a lot. I use I use labradorite a fair amount just to kind of get in the zone if I'm having trouble getting in the zone. That helps a lot. And on the way out, I use kyanite to clean out just to get everything like all of the data flushed out because mm-hmm. you know you feel like you're carrying a hard drive around of other people's shit. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I use that. But you know, just to return to a second for a second, um I wanted to talk a little bit more on something we were talking about several minutes ago about the engines and the mysteries, right? Because mm-hmm. you know, I think that there are a lot of silly conversations that happen around causality in the woo. And I tend to like avoiding those. Yeah, me too. I think, yeah. so a lot of times I feel like the the way that the questions or discussion topics are phrased makes it impossible to get a good answer. Yeah. It's like mm, your, ang- your trajectory of approach is such that you will inevitably crash land. Um, I've, I've, yeah. m- you know, one of the reasons... One of the many things that I like about the splendid Gordon White, um, why I like talking with Gordon. We is, all do. Yeah, is um, Gordon is willing to take the time to think about setting up the angle of approach to something before jumping in. And mm-hmm. just phrasing the, you know, framing the question correctly can be, you know, 50% of the work you need to do to get a good answer. To well, that's a- true in every method. I mean, it's true of tarot as well. You yeah, know? absolutely. Spend the time getting the question right. Yeah, that's and right. That's a divinatory. And in horary too. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's absolutely part of that, yeah. that divinatory space. Mm-hmm. So just um, reminded of some things uh, I wanted to say earlier. We're getting kind of nonlinear here, well, in, I but that's to, okay Yeah, because this is, Mercury is retrograde, um, <laughs> which favors the nonlinear exploration of tunnels over the super speeding on highways. But I just wanted to hand it back over to you because I forgot. Good, because <laughs> because what I wanted to say is that I think that over time I've come to believe, and I think this is, you know, any any number of far more psychic people than me will verify this, that the, the engine is the subjectivity, right? When it's interpreting, when when you're an interpreter, right? When you're a diviner. The engine is the thing that makes it work is you, you know, you're the mercury, you're the quicksilver, you're the spirit in between that causes the current to run. And, you know, that's why the word is so essential to this whole process. I mean, I think that when we receive information, it doesn't really matter if it's cards or if it's stars or if it's tea leaves or entrails or whatever it is. Or a bird appearing in the Northwest. Precisely. The point is that it's your, the engine of your subjectivity 
is reading the sign. And without that, nothing happens. And that's why, you know, some people don't need hardly anything at all, you know, to do a reading. But it just happens that we and people like us happen to be attuned to one methodology or another. But I think the details are essentially arbitrary. Mm, I think that that could be said to be true when comparing different methods of sortilage. Mm -hmm. I don't think that works. Uh, if I don't think you can lump astrology into that. Oh, maybe not. Because astrology is a mixture of um, directly causal and then a causal and everything in between, right? Like this, like we have we have daytime because the sun is above the oh, horizon. Oh yes, no, absolutely. Right? And so astrology has astrology is operating like half under tarot rules and half under totally <laughs> different rules. Yeah. Yeah, but that that portion of it, the part of it where you take something that's a feeling, something that's general and render it into specific words, you know, is what I'm talking about. The part mm -hmm. of you that interprets cuz you know, I mean, you know, uh Mars and Leo in the 5th could mean any number of things, right? Not all things. Yes. Not all things. But in a in a given chart, it exists in a very complicated context. It's mm -hmm. embedded in a very specific context mm -hmm. because you never have a chart where that's the only placement. And right. so that's a, and then you use the just like in tarot, you use the the abundant context mm -hmm. to chunk to narrow the range, narrow the range, narrow the range, narrow the range, and then narrow the range again. Mm. And now you have a handful of things that it's going to manifest as. Mm -hmm. um, and it will probably manifest as all of those mm -hmm. throughout a person's life. So then you use your timing methods to figure out at what point in time is it primarily going to look like this? Mm -hmm. And then at what point in time is it going to look like this? Like mm -hmm. just to take Mars mm -hmm. in the fifth, right? So if a person has children, that, that Mars in the fifth is going to run through their experience of their children. Before that time period, it, they still have Mars in the fifth, but it's not going to describe their children because they don't have kids yet. And so that's going to, you know, that, et cetera, et cetera. And then mm -hmm. what is Mars rules, et cetera, et cetera. So they're just, you know, there are, there are lots of, uh, I, I'm, I'm rebelling a little bit here because that's okay. It's people will <laughs> use that argument in astrology to be sloppy, be like, it could mean anything. Oh, no, yes. And yeah, if it was just Mars and Leo in the fifth, it could mean a billion different things, but it's never just that. And then mm -hmm. the part of a person's mm -hmm. life that they're in further narrows that. And well, so you get to a really useful, like defined range that you can then predict. And then if you know where, you know, if you know where the sniper rifle is aimed, then you can put a shield up there in that from that specific angle, or you can start working on it from a remedial In a sense. fairly general way, but I think that it's the oracular tool that gets you to the, the absolutely specific part of it. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, right? Because, you know, well, I was telling you about what happened to me, um, you know, with the Great American Eclipse two years ago, and that could have done terrible things to me in any number of ways, but it very specifically gave me retinal surgery in my left eye. And, you know, there's no way, you know, you might have told me perhaps be wary of eye afflictions, right? That would be something you well, might so, say. Well, so, I mean, that's a bad example because okay. that's right out of the book. Okay. Because yeah. it was No, a, it's totally, completely literal, actually. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's actually true. the opposite because <laughs> that was in, 
in the house of health problems. No, but what my, my and the eclipses attack the eyes a lot of the time. My point is that <laughs> my I happen to have an incredibly literal representation of that, but it doesn't need to be right. It wouldn't have necessarily have come out that way. No, but with it being you know, and that's part of why houses are great. Mm, if mm. if it's in the sixth house, mm. um, you know, then it's going to be. Uh, an object on your body, um, <laughs> not that corresponds to that. In that case, the sun and the moon, the eyes, are the a big left thing. eye, and it was opposing my moon. Yeah. Well, and you have an eclipse point with your moon. Your moon mm -hmm. is natally challenged by an eclipse thing, mm -hmm. lunar left eye, this and so a this big eclipse true. just pings that in your natal, mm. and the eclipse happened in a health part of the chart. Mm -hmm. If that was occurring, you know, in your tenth house then we would look for the range of solar eclipse in Leo significations mm -hmm. in a professional level. Mm -hmm. And there's still a range, yeah. but like that's yeah, yeah. that's part of the beauty of houses, right? Right, right? like if you, it, it, houses are like what you want the cards to answer. If you're like, yeah, tell me about relationships and you throw the card, you're basically, mm -hmm. that's the seventh house box. Right, sure. Well, what I'm curious about is that, I I'm mean- sorry, you're, you, I feel like you were- Getting to a larger yeah. point. No, I'm the the thing I want to kind of get to is so when you're doing a reading, astrologically specifically, not tarot, at what's at, at what level of scope do you know there's sort of we've been talking about how there's the kind of Rube engine Rube, Rube Goldberg and engine clockworks that we use. Mm -hmm. You know, to kind of get in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And then the sort of oracular skills you use to get beyond that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with tarot, there's a relatively limited set of Rude Goldberg levers and dials to use, you know, compared to astrology. Yeah, I think astrology is slightly more steampunk. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, for me, whether when I get very specific, it's because I've been able to let go and go completely oracular. But in your case, it sounds like you can bear down pretty hard on the clockworks before, you know, to get accurate answers before you um, surrender. Yeah, well, so, yes, um, I am right. And so this is, we're getting into really reader-specific experiences <laughs> of navigating, right? Which I think is great. Mm -hmm. um, so, okay, so, how do I put this? Yeah, so for me, I... I see that intuitive, oracular, whatever mm. people want to call that part, um, that's a little bit like literary inspiration for me, mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. I always leave room for that, Yeah. Um, but I can't depend on that, like that spirit. So is, for you, it, you start talking in metaphors and sometimes they turn out to be literal. That happens too. Mm -hmm. I would also say that reality has a metaphorical yes. structure. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, but for me, like the, what should we say? Um, just as a, an approach to reading, I don't. I should say there's always space between the technical stuff for me for inspiration to strike. Mm -hmm. I always leave that room, but I find that. Um, that particular, the, the muse of divination, mm -hmm. um, like any of the other muses cannot be commanded. <laughs> this um, is absolutely you know, true. You, you make a nest and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, I, I would say I'm pretty good at this point at noticing when there's a fluttering of wings and that's landed and I will follow that. Right. But what I also 
often find, and again, this part of this is coming like my my astrology experience can't fail to inform my my tarot. Yeah. Um, is yeah. that when I follow the yellow when I follow the rabbit down whatever yellow brick hole, it's um th- <laughs> there's usually I'm, I'm noting the technical rationale as I go. I'm like, yeah. oh, why didn't I think about this earlier? That does connect with that in a really yeah. clean way. Yeah. Um, and every now and again, um, I will be led out of the space that my technical capacity allows me to map. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually I, I'll, usually I'm, I'm following a line of logic that I just didn't go down. I'm like, Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, for me, it's sort of like, you know, all of the correspondences and all of the years of working with the cards and my personal experiences almost create like a word bank or a, you know, data set or, you know, it's when the language thing goes and needs to find what it's going to do, it's going to go there. And, but at the same time, what I'm feeling in the context of the reading, I'm feeling what the other person's feeling. And it's, you know, it's, it's that ability to be there in that emotional space with them that determines what actually comes out of my mouth. Mm, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, I would read exactly the same cards mm-hmm. completely differently, even if they meant the same thing. Yeah. Very, I would phrase it very differently to different people. Do you, um, insist on having a question or not? Most of the time with terror, like I will do, uh, if somebody like, I'll just, I'll throw a good old fashioned Celtic cross. Do you? Just every now and again, if a person is like, yeah, I don't know, let's just look at stuff. Yeah. And then there's always, there, there's always, um, one or two of those cards is always a, a tender spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that'll like, that'll become the significator card for yeah. a more, uh, a, a less structured um, sort of tangent of reading, which yeah. is usually where the meat is. Um, with astrology, yeah. I uh, this is back to like mm, creating the oracular space. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Uh, I I basically don't tell people things that they don't ask. I, I feel like that's not like that. That is good practice for five or ten different reasons. It's good practice in life. I mean. One thing you learn with children is that you wait till they ask, <laughs> you know, for a lot of information that they might need. Yeah, like yeah. I remember when I was first trying out these tools, and I only half believed in them, and so therefore mm-hmm. I wasn't careful. Mm-hmm. I remember like looking at someone's chart and being like, "Yeah, and so you had, you know, X kind of horrific abuse when you were younger, because that's what this says." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah." And in the and there's a part of you that wants to exult because you were right on target. And at the same time, you're like, holy shit, what did I just do? Yeah, I'm so sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, I learned pretty early because I had some 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 hits like that. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, well, if, you know, just because you can find that doesn't mean that. And this this is actually one thing that's Well, nice we were and, talking about that just because you can doesn't mean you should. Well, and yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's especially true with astrology because you have the whole chart. Like it, the the tarot is much more call and response. Like you mm-hmm. ask with a card, mm-hmm. right? And so the tarot cards tend to be on topic. Although sometimes they nudge you really strongly. They're like, "Yeah, this isn't the right line of questioning. This is bullshit." <laughs> with a with a chart, it's like, "Oh, well, you've got horrible malefics in the fourth. That your your childhood was a fucking nightmare." But like, mm-hmm. that's not. They might want to just, you know, they might have come to you, and your job is to 
help them out with navigating a career transition. Right. And at the same time, the information that you see informs what you say, even if you're not drawing on all of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, one of the one of the functions of the the geometry of relationship, which astrology absolutely depends on, is you see what's relevant to what. Like there, you know, um, so if we're looking at, let's say, like my 10th house, my career stuff, be like, okay, well, Mercury's in the 10th. That is relevant. Mars rules it. And then Mars is co-present with the sun in the south node and opposite Saturn. So that's all relevant. But is, you know, how relevant is my moon positioned at that? Mm -hmm. Not as much. It's right. relevant in a different right. way because the Mercury rules the moon. But like, um, and just because everything's connected doesn't mean everything is rubbing up against each other. And I feel like that's another, that's a, a connecty piece with cards mm -hmm. is, yeah, you can find your way uh, eventually. Like if you uh, go through enough doorways and enough tunnels, you can find your way from any symbol to another, but some are rubbing up against each other and some life areas, like for some people, you know, uh, you could have a thing where how should we say a planet uh let's say the ruler of the 10th is in the fifth so um so the 10th being the place of career action and then the fifth among other things being kids and so if that's the case then what's going on with your kids and with in your relationship to creation and nurturing in, in general is going to be really relevant mm -hmm. to your professional action but there are lots of situations where those two couldn't be part of the whole of life but they're not like right next to each other. And so when someone asks a question, I will bring in whatever is directly connected uh, to it, but then, you know, not bring up stuff that's like, you know, um, four, uh, four cities over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I tend to, I've given up on the Celtic cross in recent years. I just do not like it. Um, I don't even know if I'm doing it in yeah. the original. I, I, like I learned it from a book, was mm -hmm. it and somebody Arian Angelus Arian, the Angelus original thought that Thoth book that she did. Yeah, uh, yeah, I had that in college. She went to the college that I went to. Oh, Antioch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Antioch. Yeah. Um, and I had that, and she has kind of a modified Celtic cross. Everybody has their own version, then, really. It's just ten cards in a in a certain you know map. Yeah, and then yeah. mine mutated from that. I don't even think I do that. Um, yeah. I use that as like that's like a radar scan. Well, you know, for many years I didn't have a radar scan, and that bothered me because I I would bully people a little bit to get a little more specific. You mm -hmm. know, I would say you know specific questions get specific answers, yep, kind of I'd a thing. Say something like that. Yeah. With every reading. Yeah, but now I I feel a little differently. I'm doing something different these days, which I really like, which is. Um, I encourage people to look back on their lives as if it's a book, right? And break it up into whatever number of chapters they can handle, four, five, six chapters, and then draw a card for each of those. Ooh. And that creates a storyline, right? It, can, it creates a storyline and a trajectory so that we can not only take it up to the present moment, but we can draw the card beyond that and see where it's going. And that has been something that's been really, really great for me as a, um, as a reader because it, it it brings out the same kind of information. You know, when I read the cards for each period of that life, it will resonate in a different way for the client. And you can always tell where the juice is. That's know? amazing. See, that's one of the reasons I like you and like talking to you <laughs> is like, that's um, to say that is an that is a original and 
effective utilization of the tarot cards is kind of the commercial version. But thank like, you, Austin Kopic. Yeah. Well, but you have <laughs> lots of things like that where I hadn't thought to do that. But as soon as I see it, I'm like, oh, it's like your innovations are so coherent with what that tool is. Well, it's like it's like if the tarot is a Swiss Army knife, mm. and I've been using like the 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 short stubby blade and the corkscrew, <laughs> and it's like I feel like with some of your innovations, you're like, well, what about this one? You can do this with it. I'm like, why haven't I been doing that? Yeah, and the thing is that it arises because I've been you know talking tarot theory to people for a long time and saying you know it's story therapy, it's taking your story and trying to uh, to 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 do medical work on your story. Right. And if it's a story, then why am I not treating it like a story? Mm -hmm. Right. You know, that was one of my like, I would say that was one of my first revelations or like sort of Gnostic, you know, where I'm like, oh, this is what the tarot is. I was like, this is narrative. Yeah. Um, And that, yeah, you're, you know, it's narrative, it's sequential, there are themes, there are characters, there are scenes. And during that period of time, I would take... um movies that i'd seen yeah and then i would be like okay if it's action adventure it's going to be wands structure if it's like romance it's going to be romance and horror i would say both go <laughs> both go under cups yes for sure um you know or if it's like i remember i, I was watching blow which was about like the cocaine trade yeah you know, highly fictionalized yeah. uh, cocaine trade. i was like that's a that's a coin story right uh and right. then i would i would see how the how the the structure of the tarot mapped to the narrative structure in the movies because yeah. you know all movies uh, you know writers have been both accidentally and quite intentionally trying to match story beats to archetypal story structure right you know for as long as there have been movies and right. I found that it 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 um, and some of uh, that it one it matched perfectly. Yeah, it, it, but that sometimes you just need to invert the card. They did that stage, but like it got all fucked up there. Right, right. And what if the story ended this way instead of that way? Right, mm -hmm. you know, because you you get people who come to you and they are literally trapped in a story of their own making, right? And so sometimes trapped, or sometimes misled, or sometimes they're doing fine and they just don't realize it, you know. But 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 to me, it's um, the process of the reading is diagnosing what story they're in and then seeing if it needs adjustment in some way you know yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense or uh for me i'll think about like okay well so if we can locate what the story is what its themes are and what scene you're in yes then we know and this is part of like being a video game nerd which is <laughs> you know video games yeah are, for the most part they're uh interactive narratives mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um and it's like for okay sure. well so there are better and worse strategies for this stage right you're definitely at this stage um but are you gonna like keep playing it over and over again and losing or are you gonna like get the are you gonna get like the secret bonus points right and then move on or are you just gonna get through um and strategizing about you know what are what are best moves from a particular position within a story structure that's right yeah because people are always asking you you know what should i do next have i found am i on the right path what is my purpose and these are all questions 
about meaning, right? So this is why I come back to subjectivity being absolutely crucial to the process because meaning is constructed from subjectivity. That's how it works. And if you're there with them, then you get to, you know, you get that's to a, put that's on... That's a little too... Is it too bad for you? <laughs> that's a little too um, disappointed post-war existentialist for me. <laughs> oh, it's all in my head. But it is all, that's the beauty of it. You know, not all in your head. That's, 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 uh, I think I, I, I have, I, the only problems I have with that statement are all and the words all and head and your, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, and part of the problem, and I, I'm, I'm more, um, picking on the language, like the term subjectivity, more than mm. what I think you mean. Oh, are you looking at it from a theoretical point of view? Well, I'm just looking at the way we talk about these things mm. and the limits yeah. of the, the the language that we have. Because, mm. you know, the, this whole, like the whole idea of like, like the, the approach of saying, well, there's what's subjective, what's objective, mm. and that those are important categories and we should look at things from that perspective. Oh, I um, see. No, is, I think that I'm probably defining subjectivity in a much broader way than you are. I, I think you are yeah, too. And that's why yeah. I wanted to pick on yeah. that term. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think that, you know, the work that I do personally in ritual is to erase that line basically um, between the subjective and the objective and to, which I think is, you know, actually, um, I don't know. There's something about hermeticism generally that that tends to lead this to this kind of polar thinking, you know, where there's there's as above and there's so below. But to me, it's you know, the work is to erase the lines, you know, and to to recognize that the reality you're seeing is both I don't want to say that it's entirely of your making, but <laughs> you are continuous with everything that's making it. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I, the the image metaphor that came to mind was, for me, um, was like blood and tissue, mm. right? Mm. Then we could, let's just say the subjective component is like the blood and then the objective component is like the tissue that it feeds. And in a lab setting, we could drain my blood out mm -hmm. and we could have dried out tissue and see like, and say, look, they're different. Mm -hmm. But um, you can't do that to a living thing. Right. Um, and have it still, it won't be, it's like, I, I won't be me if you separate the blood from the tissue. And so like, yeah, like it's, it's worth noticing that the blood that feeds the liver is not the same as the liver cells, but like in action, like the two are interpenetrating and continuous. That's right. That's right. Um, and it, the, the, and that whenever you can split them fully, you've killed the thing. Exactly. I think that's right. I mean, I think that, you know, we do well to consider ourselves as an organism, but that the organism is much bigger than we think. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and part of, and this is part of um, picking on, again, hopefully not you, but that way of <laughs> thinking, which it's hard to get around, you know, like, 
if I did come up with a wholly original, like better way to talk about it, I would have to spend an hour explaining mm-hmm. why I chose those words out of the existing words in the English language, <laughs> right? So, you know, when we're having conversations, we have to shorthand it and you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, I do. Um, but part of that for me is like a lot of our, a lot of our subjectivity um, is actually um, a pretty accurate mirror of what's happening around us. Um, not exact, you know, not a hundred percent, but there's this, um, sort of suspicion that whatever uh, our take on something is, um, is only at best tangentially related to what's happening that I don't think is correct. And that I think quite teaches people to distrust their own minds. No, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, hmm. I think to work in in a divination system is to be willing to enter into a web of meaning that's really very large and that so that when a synchronicity happens it's you know it's it's meaningful to you because you are part of that web right you know it's not as though there's um there's no such thing as coincidence anymore if there's no separateness. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. I and, mean, yeah. Well, and let me just add that I would you, I like your use of web there. Um, I think that relates back to the divinatory place, the, that, the oracular palace, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, because in that space, when I feel like it's operating or, you know, when I'm fully in that, mm-hmm. you're talking about connecting to the person you're reading for mm-hmm. um, and feeling what they're feeling while you're also feeling what you're feeling while you're also feeling from the cards or the chart. You know, they're really, we can identify, there's usually, that's a, I would say, fundamentally tripartite. Mm-hmm. You have method, um, reader, and questioner, querent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that when things really get humming, that's um, that's a, a single structure that is part tripartite, and you have your role within mm. that structure. Mm. Um, but that you know you're 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 an organ in that temporarily uh, unitary body, and you've got your mm-hmm. job to do. But you're like feeling the rest of it, and that's part of why those spaces are, are special. And also, it's one of the reasons why I will record readings, but I yeah. don't love it because I don't feel like that helps us go to the that heart of the present yeah yeah i see what you mean so you're taking the question you're doing the recording you're sending the recording not in the same not in not in the same live space oh, and time i, I, as I will the, never do that mm-hmm. I, I don't do any pre-recorded stuff okay. I, I do believe you can connect that way and part of this is also what i've noticed when i went from doing readings primarily in person to doing readings primarily over skype or the phone i was like oh my god how do i do it um but you like you, you do it is you, how you do yeah, it. <laughs> well, but you find how to connect to that person um, through that medium. Right. And in some way, in some ways, not having in some ways, having the visual can be something to connect to. But in other ways, having the visual means that or not having the visual like over the phone means you can connect to other things that the visual obscures. But I think it's, you know, it's connecting to yeah, I, 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 Dare I say that good divination occurs at the level of the soul? I think that's fair. 
I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. I, I mean, I think that that's, that's one of the places it happens, right? Because there's also the place where you have to perceive the pattern and interpret the pattern out loud. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know? It yeah. has to get there. But I, let me say rooted in the soul. Yeah, better. And that better. good questions. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I got from traditional horror attacks, which... I think has made me a better reader in every every context. Mm-hmm. Um, is they talk about is the question radical? Is it rooted? Um, and then and there's a lot of talk about radical charts and this and that. But there there's um, there are a number of different texts which try to make sure that the question is rooted in the soul, meaning that it's a real concern that the other person that the querent has, and not a frivolous concern. Um, mm-hmm. because the, you know, uh, whether if you're doing horror and somebody asks a frivolous question, a lot of times what you'll get as a chart is a chart that has one of the indicators that this is a frivolous question and, and will not be answered. Yes. Yes. And the cards are yeah. much more abrupt and rude, uh, in, yeah. in my yeah. uh, experience. So when I, when I try to, uh, set the, it's not setting the stage, but set, setting the, the space for, what I hope will be a good reading for a client. Um, you know, I'll say anything that's really, that's actually important to you is a good question that if you, right. I was, you know, if you really care about what's, whether the next episode of, um, <laughs> I don't know, uh, whatever, uh, game of Thrones, even though it's up for now, but if you really care about whether that's going to be a satisfying experience or not, if you really care about it, we can find it. Uh, you know, we can get a good answer to that. That's probably not your foremost concern, but if, if, if it doesn't, but the point is that it's not whether it sounds like a cool question or a meaningful mm. question, it matters if it's rooted deeply in your concerns. I, I agree. And I also am going to push back just a little bit in the sense that, so my practice is a little bit different from yours in that I have what I've described to you as my temple harlot practice where, you know, I read for people on Thursday for not very much money for like five or six hours. And I I do it because I feel like I it's it's you know it's the applied side of my practice as opposed to the theoretical it needs mm-hmm. to happen mm-hmm. and it's part of um my becoming strengthening my relationship with the cards but because of that it means I get a lot of silly stuff coming in right because you know it's not expensive people come in and they and they've always wanted to have a reading, right? So they've thought about it. It's it's just been something they were a little bit afraid or nervous or, you know, and they're out with their girlfriends. So three of them come in at once. And I actually quite like that, you know, when people come in, they have no idea what they're getting into, which is fine. But I believe that sometimes people have to have this very easy threshold to begin thinking about things. Um, to be can begin opening themselves to transactions of meaning. You know, sometimes they have to be a little bit frivolous about it. Sometimes they have to be in a party mood. And sometimes they have to say, ooh, spooky fortune teller, you know, to to allow themselves even to step in the door. And I don't mind filling that function, honestly. It's not my favorite, but I, I See, feel I'm, like it's a mask I wear that I enjoy. And I salute you. I am... Um... <laughs> I am too much of a diva for that. (laughs) 
well, good for you. Maybe you, maybe, maybe it's questions of self worth, and I should examine that. <laughs> yeah, or maybe it's questions of self worth for me, and I should examine that. Um, but yeah, I, um, well, and for me now, it's like my time is limited. I'm expensive. Like, mm -hmm. let's not waste any time. We've got only so much time. Like, I'm very confident in my ability to get to it and then to get to something that can, in many cases, meaningfully uh, change outcomes for the better or, you know, we can figure, we can figure this out, right? Yeah. And so, like, I'm, I'm, I want to get started and, like, let's figure this out and, mm -hmm. like, you know, get there and make, you know, make life better in some meaningful way. It feels good to actually see results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that and, is true. And and part of that for me is also uh, over the last several years, being increasingly um, not just interested, in, but uh, in, uh, 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 integrating a remedial uh, component to my practice. Where mm -hmm. I'm like, if we can't figure, if we can't find the thing, then we can't make the thing better, mm -hmm. right? You know, we have you have to do, um, you have to have a diagnosis before you can have a prescription. Yeah, and so. Yeah. That's so I, I interesting. Yeah. I feel like I'm I'm being I feel like I'm being wasted mm -hmm. if I'm not doing that. Well, you know, that's so interesting because I've started prescribing as well in recent years and you know, just in the last year and a half or so maybe and I think it's just come as sort of a consequence of being more comfortable with tarot as a magical practitioner mm -hmm. as opposed to a divinatory practitioner and you know i will tell people okay here's a spell you can mm -hmm. use this or write your own i love your tarot spells. oh stuff. thank you thank you i feel like there um there's something valuable that i've given people because it's and just to paraphrase for listeners it's basically a practice where i take the card of the day and take everything i know about them and turn it into a couplet basically couplet just because i can remember it better mm -hmm. and i like things that rhyme but you know you could really do anything once some people do one word some people do haiku but it's there's something about going in there and coming back with something concrete that allows you to um it's sort of like, you know, what Gordon says about, you know, when you go into the dream time and come back and you write something or sing mm -hmm. something, it's like that. It's like the idea that you take something real to express to that part of you that doesn't live in the ordinary world that you're you're real and you're listening, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel that, you know, whether I tell people to, you know, take go look this card up online, print it out, hang it in your house, mm -hmm. you know, or take the spell or write the spell or do this thing that's correspondence-wise related to this card, you know, I feel that that is something that allows them to continue extracting meaning from the reading over time. And I'm sure that that's true for you with, you know, prescribing a mantra, say. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, when you read for me, I absolutely felt that that was, you know, something I was going to take extremely seriously and continue doing because... You know, <laughs> well, it's not every day Austin Copic reads for you, and Ooh. I'm going to use whatever value there is, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Well, thank you. For, <laughs> yeah. So for those of you who don't know, which is everybody, um, Susie was my, my, my year one Vedic exam. 
Yes. My 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 test reading without using any of my tropical tools. Um, and uh, yeah, and it was literally like that was part of the pass fail for year one was whether <laughs> I could do that well. And it was not recorded and we didn't do it, but it was, you know, there was I a recorded like, it well, yeah, you're fact. allowed to have it. <laughs> um, but that was, and that was actually a great experience for me because that was, um, uh, that was the first reading where, the, where, where I was in reading space, not just testing techniques, um, where I did hands off of all of my Hellenistic stuff. And I was like, just going to do sidereal just, um, in this particular style of Vedic. And I was like, I, it was great because it was my first experience of getting fully into reading space with that third entity and that third entity being a particular school and style of Vedic astrology rather than just astrology as everything I know about astrology, right? right. <laughs> Where like I can fall back on things that I'm really comfortable with. Mm -hmm. So that was mm -hmm. that was a good experience. It was a fun exploration, really. And I remember because I remember I got your message and I was standing in Stop and Shop at the time. <laughs> I was literally doing the week's groceries and I was like in the ketchup aisle or something and i got your message and i had to read it twice because i wasn't entirely clear what you were asking because it seemed impossible that you would be offering me this incredible gift while i was standing in the ketchup aisle and of course i thought yeah. you would be the perfect victim because it was supposed to be uh you know we we weren't allowed to read for somebody who we were like tight with and knew yeah, everything family about and friends yeah but i don't know you just stuck in my mind as like a really intelligent isn't the right word although certainly it's you qualify for that <laughs> no but like i don't know i just like the way your mind worked and the way you thought about things and i didn't you know know all i didn't like know the ins and outs of your life so i was like well yeah you didn't Susie? know my chart backwards and forwards and no all. Yeah, and when yeah. i didn't like be like oh yeah well two years ago she did this and then four mm. years ago was when blah 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 happened you know i didn't have all that yeah. which is what i needed yeah, yeah. so i could you know come in with the tools rather than you know, with a bunch of facts memorized. Yeah, and it was a really fun experience for me because it was interesting to hear you working out, you know, taking these tools for a trial run, you know, and seeing how you were engaging with them and, you know, where the challenges were and how you resolved them and how, you know, no matter how uh, unfamiliar they may have been in a practical context, you're still able to come to meaning ultimately. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was interesting. It was, you know, it's like when you, when you, when you field test things, right. It's, uh, it's always both easier and harder than you expected. Like there are, there are issues with implementation that you didn't expect. And then there are the things that you worried about that are actually aren't issues at all. You're like, oh yeah, that's exactly right. how it's supposed to work. <laughs> Great. The firing mechanism is not jamming. Mm, but you don't know till you try. Yeah. And yeah. since then, I've done about 130, 150 Good readings God. where I've looked at um, where I just, it's just become standard for me where I look at it and pull it up full Vedic and then mm -hmm. full mm, whatever you want to call my, uh, my tropical, which is like mm -hmm. Hellenistic chassis um, <laughs> with some. I don't know, uh, with some Bonatti interior, um, and then a, a few, a few modern conveniences, a few synthetic <laughs> materials, uh, in there as well. Um, but you know, I do my tropical and then I do my, my traditional Vedic and I look at both 
And I look at the life sliced both those ways. Um, so that's your that's when somebody comes to you for a I don't know quote unquote standard reading. That's what you do now. Yep, that's what. Mm -hmm. it, and so yeah, I got my yeah. 150 reps in during the first half of this year. How? <laughs> Um, oh, I mean, no, I, that's rhetorical, really. I mean, I, I know that you work incredibly hard and that you were moving and that you were summoning dragons and doing and taking care of your, you know, matrilineal line. So it just seems like kind of a lot. Yeah, I'm still, pre I'm I'm still pretty. I'm pretty worn down. My um, my little tube of toothpaste is uh, you'd have to squeeze <laughs> me pretty hard to get any more out. But fortunately, we're 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 just about out of the meat grinder and. Mm. There's a period uh, for about the next month I can like gear down, which isn't like not working, but it's right. like shifting out of the insane gear, like going from playing it on insane mode to just playing it on hard or playing yeah. it on maybe yeah. even normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, that's like I will do nothing but. Uh, sewing and podcasting, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> I feel like that is, uh, an image for, uh, Gemini one mm. is, uh, Oh yeah. The woman was skilled in needlework, right? Yeah. And yeah, she's, yeah. uh, in, it was an, an Ibn Ezra's image. That's she's, right. She's actually, uh, levitating and, and, and it says, you know, a woman, blah, 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 who's, you know, uh, feet are up off the ground. She's levitating and she can sew. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really like that. So I the really image like is that, yeah. you pod with you know uh, blue yeti in one hand, <laughs> sewing needle in the other, a couple yeah. feet off the ground. So speaking of podcasting, actually, we should shift gears. We should. Yeah. So I had one more question. Mm -hmm. I have one more question that I want on 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 my thing, and then we'll mm -hmm. shift. If that's okay. okay. All right. So um this is something that i've thought about and tried to articulate not publicly but to myself and in writing um and that was brought up again by the keynote here which was fantastic mm -hmm. um and so the question is so what is hermeticism to you when you say oh, i'm doing hermeticism or mm. i'm doing something hermetic hermetic what what definition of the many possible definitions <laughs> um would you use for yeah. that yeah yeah, I think that, you know, I avoid saying that generally um, because of the difficulty of of defining it and because of the many, many definitions, as you say. I mean, to me, I feel like, you know, I feel like I'm still evolving in, in the superstructure of my belief. Mm. And... I will kind of go so far as to say that, you know, Hermes is my thrice great boss at all times and that my entire practice revolves around uh, the reconciliation of as above, so below, and as within, so without. And beyond that, I'm not really willing to pin myself down with, you know, any sort of more formal label because I'm pretty sure I'd screw it up. And, but also because I feel like, you know, for me, this whole thing we do, you know, this Cosa Nostra <laughs> is uh, something that only works for me through lived experience. I can't theorize about it and say, okay, I am a hermeticist in this tradition because I can only start thinking about the ways that I'm not. Right. You know? 
How about you? I like uh, I like everything that you said. I I one thing I th- so okay so if we're going to define hermeticism, we can you know we can bring in certain figures and um, people doing stuff in certain times and places, and at least get like a map of the trajectory. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not necessarily the essence of the thing. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people along the way who would who have said and written like hermeticism is this Mm -hmm. um and i almost never am fully in accord with that right um i i do think that there's something inherently mercurial about it and you know hermes as as uh uh, hermes has a couple functions and one of them is to be the god of thieves Mm -hmm. thieves and magicians and the two um are not uncommonly the same you know, when I look at the corpus of what gets classed as hermetic material, I see a lot of borrowing from anything that it encounters. Yes. And, the, you know, yes. when I say mercurial, that's what the metal mercury does. Right. It'll literally, like, you can, you know, uh, you can you can smuggle other metals <laughs> yeah. Yeah, in yeah. mercury. Yeah, and Hermes goes wherever he wants, you know. Yeah, and, and that's picks, the whole point. And picks things up and deposits them along the way. And so, you know, for me uh, to, uh, for, yeah, for a satisfying definition, it has to, uh, it has to be inherently, um, the thing has to be defined as having, being elusive in some ways. Yeah. um, Of being acquisitive, um, of being willing to merge or conjoin with things that it, that were previously not it, and then to form new alloys and compounds with that are part of the tradition if we're mapping it you know historically um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so yeah that's yeah i mean i think you know my my um my description my job description in the vulgate i've come to decide is you know i i think it's under my twitter handle i say you know amplifier of weak signals enhancer (laughs) of low probabilities Right. So, you know, it's the idea that there's divination and there's magic and that I'm working in those spaces and, mm-hmm. you know, and people can make of it what they what they will. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. 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 I, well, I, so uh, I, I'm going to stop myself from <laughs> from from, from yeah, uh, from from discoursing at length about what might be adequate definitions of <laughs> of uh of uh, hermeticism you know I, I would just you know just point to the earliest bits are like you know they're they're thing we have things written in greek but then they're using um like if we use the pgm material as an mm-hmm. example of early hermeticism that was a grab bag it's like okay so you know when you call the gods of the underworld use this Mesopotamian name, use this Greek name, yeah. uh, use this Roman name, use this Egyptian name. Um, there, you know, you can see the embracing quality of it, yeah. which is distinct from a, a tradition that has clear parameters, Yeah, right? Where you're like, no, I am a Vishnuvite. I, you know, Vishnu is my main, my main guy. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the, the, a lot of the rest of the, uh, people call Hindu or Vedic material gets organized from that Vishnu focus. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's like a, a discrete or a relatively discrete or coherent set of traditions 
Whereas like, you know, with Hermes, it might, you know, you might overlap with this and then that gets pulled into the, that hermetic flow. But uh, yeah, uh, God of, God of magicians and thieves works for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because, <laughs> you know, I was just thinking the keynote lecture to which you referred was Karen DiGiacomo's um, lecture where she really emphasized the so below <laughs> side of things. I mean, the idea that there has to be a willingness to go into the dark, mm-hmm. you know, like Thonic Hermes, to in order to do the work, right? Mm-hmm. And that's something that has been my kind of focus um, because, you know, the, <laughs> uh, I don't know, you could kind of sum it up as say it like you mean it. That's my whole, you know, magical practice. Say it like you mean it. Because to me, the, the, the feeling of the magician, the, the, um, the tide of affect on which you ride is crucial to the whole process. You know, you, there's, no, there's no alchemy without that third element. And that's what I've, that's what I've found. Yeah, that's beautiful, right? And that's mm-hmm. the alchemical function of mercury relative mm-hmm. to salt and sulfur mm-hmm. is to bind the spirit to the body. Oh, which, yeah, and the the, uh, the the mercury is put in a position where it has to be more flexible because it has to accommodate two things that don't agree yes. uh, in yes. and of themselves, right? That's right. And yeah. maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's the... I'm just thinking of the the sort of reading triad which I proposed earlier, like mm-hmm. the the questioner, the reader, and then the divinatory um, mechanism, tarot, astrology, runes, whatever. Yeah, I, yeah. So which one is the salt? Which one is the sulfur? And which one is the mercury? Well, I would if say if that works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would almost say that the um, first of all, I kind of want to. Part of me wants to just immediately say it's the question, sorry, the 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 reader, the person being read, and the reading, you know, itself mm-hmm, as the mm-hmm. third element. But Or maybe that is the fourth inside the triangle. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That I was thinking about this because I was trying to explain to someone, you know, what it is that what is this invisible thing that comes out of a reading? And I was using a music metaphor. I was saying, look, you know, the the player is not the magic. The instrument is not the magic. The music is the magic, right? You mm. can't see it. You can't smell it, but it's there, right? Mm. So to me, the music is the quicksilver, right? Well, that, the thing I, that, goes between. that is the alchemical child of the process, right? which is also mercury. Which is also mercury, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the winged, um, yeah. double-headed, the rebus, right? Yeah. 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 So in the in the context of a reading, I would almost say that, you know, I kind of want to say that the substrate, the salt is that which is brought to you. Right. The the question. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, and right. And so hopefully the reading animates that body. Right. Right. Gives it life. Right. 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 I mean, I think that there's, you know, the, the, the interpreter and the skills that they bring, you know, that's, that's a second leg of the triangle. But the reading itself, you know, 
It's it's not a thing unless there's three. <laughs> you know, I mean, and this is the thing is that it, it's it's so interesting. I, I always feel with readings in general that it's almost like um like a current, a physical thing, a, a positive negative pressure thing, somewhere between the the need of the questioner and the desire of the reader to help. Mm-hmm. There's this momentum there's this current there's this sort of river that you ride on yeah those two reach out to each yeah. other definitely yeah. yeah and then form a, a circuit when they yeah. when there's good connection yeah and bad tarot reading is when that doesn't happen you know it's sort of like here's the person with their question and here's the reader with this theoretical construct that they're sort of you know masturbating to uh, you know and and then there's no actual connection between the two Right. You, know, you definitely have like one version of bad reading yeah. is the reader um, superimposes um, a structure onto the the question that mm-hmm. the that reader do, projects that yeah. doesn't. Well, and but, we, and but that can be positive, That's, too. Yeah. Like it can be organizing the question in a way that makes it um, more answerable and more meaningful. But there's like projecting patterns that don't connect to the question at all and trying to make the question into something that it's not. Yeah, yeah. And that's absolutely um, a thing. And it's something I've experienced. You know, I, I think everyone does as a reader at some point, you start out trying to use all the tools you have. And one of the tools you have is your empathy. But, you know, empathy and projection are two sides of the same coin. So, you know, part of this job is getting out of the way so that when you feel the things, you don't immediately say, that's my story. You still recognize it's your story, Mm -hmm. you know? Although I do think that um, if you've been, if you've, you know, you've spent some time in the Three of Wands and they're in a Three of Wands (laughs) situation, um, sharing some of your experiences that aren't strictly relevant to only you. You know, you can help and be like, all right, I've been three of wands. Um, so this is. Yeah, no, absolutely. I feel that. And this is something that I also sort of derived from the keynote, which was that, you know, a, <laughs> I, 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 I make extensive use of my shadow <laughs> in, in readings. You know, I've done things and I've been places that are not in the light, you know, and which are parts of me that I probably would not choose you know, to, um, to live with if I, if I were trying to live a upright, good life, you know, but on the other hand, they're part of my ability to go places with people without shame, mm-hmm. you know, and without hindrance. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, what you're saying is like, get out of the way. I feel like the default is that there's no you in the reading and you you permit or mobilize portions of your own experience as insofar as they serve the reading mm-hmm. and that that's the filter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's also a way of just simply building trust, you know, the, it, it, it's I, what I really like in the same way that I really like randomness. I really like the anonymity of reading. Oh, yeah. You know? I love the fact that we can share incredibly intimate details about ourselves, not in spite of being strangers, but because of it, you know? Yeah, there's, um, there's a, there are different levels of proximity allow, or they create different spaces. 
Um, and, and that's one of the big differences I think between a reader and a therapist Yes, um, is some of the, the work of therapy requires, um, close proximity and works in, and it functions best in that space. Whereas if I know someone too well, if I know someone really well, I can still read for them, but it's a lot harder. Whereas exactly. if, yes. you know, um, uh, and so with my clients, I, you know, I, the most I would, the, the most I will ever read for someone is once every three months. Right. Well, here's another question that's related to, I know we should really be wrapping this up, but, but I really do have this urgent question, <laughs> which is, you know, when you're reading for yourself, mm -hmm. um, well, let me ask you how hard it is for you to read for yourself. Oh, really, really depends. Mm -hmm. um, there, I do a lot of navigating by the astrology, mm -hmm. um, which is really more cartographic than anything where I'm just like, yeah, that's coming up or I'm in this period and that's coming up. It's probably going to be like that. I might want to adjust how I'm heading into that or make sure I have certain tools ready or practices um, to optimize my journey through that little patch of land. Um, when it, when I'm in a position that I'm really deeply unclear about and I desperately need clarity, then I have that looking through a crack, looking at a cracked mm -hmm. glass through a cracked glass. Mm -hmm. um, and I get that, um, that magnification of distortion that you get sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm like, if I'm in a place where I'm like, oh, I need a reading, I will go outside of, um, of me. But for yeah. like, so uh, we just say for crisis um, situations, yeah. I find it very useful to get somebody else to read for me. But for mm -hmm. like day-to-day -day navigation, I'm able to get a lot of useful intel um, and just, you know, and just uh, run that yeah, way. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of ambient tarot that happens, right? I mean, like when we were coming in this house and we weren't sure it was the right house, <laughs> we both pulled cards. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but one thing I found, which... I don't know if you can use or not. I got it from a one of the members of the Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy uh, group. Is that you know when I read for myself, which is pretty rare, you know I don't have problems of that scope ugh, that often. But you know once every couple months, something like that. Once every three months, I've started um, doing a thing where rather than drawing the cards and looking at them and then going up here and seeing what I can get out of it, I'm tapping my head. Um, I will, I will record, I will, mm. I will start talking into a voice recorder and something very strange happens when I do that. I notice that number one, I'm so much nicer. <laughs> I'm so much nicer to, you know, me when I think I'm somebody else. And number two, it forces me to have an answer just like I do for other people. Right. And then, so number, so, and number three I listen to it not immediately, but like a day or two later, and it's like I'm getting a reading from a professional reader. It's amazing. <laughs> That's genius. Yeah, this is uh, credit goes to Naya Thrice <laughs> for telling me to do that, and I, I never do any readings for myself any other way now. So you you don't have to go outside if you don't want to. Is gonna, my point. I'm going to steal that. 
I do like I I I just like getting certain kinds of readings. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's an excuse. Yeah. Um, I'm like, oh, good. Now I can. Yeah. yeah. Like I I get um, uh, every now and again I'll get a reading from Eric Purdue. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. he's he's doing uh, Lukumi style, and it's very mm-hmm. different from anything that I know how to do. Mm-hmm. But it it I do understand how to interact with that sort of reading. And so I, I like that because it's always, one, he's really good at it. And two, it's just fresh for me. It's a totally right. fresh angle. It's not what the tarot says. I know what the tarot says. It's not what the astrology says. I know what the astrology says. Yeah. Um, and so that that's really helpful. Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there really isn't, it's really wonderful to have somebody else's eyes on it. You know, there's there that really is a... Um, an experience that's hard to replicate, but you know, pretending role playing the two parts of yourself also works. No, that's genius. I'm totally going to do that. Yeah. And you know, what's so interesting. I think it's, it comes down to speech acts, you know, I mean, and this is such a such such a Hermes thing, but what goes on up here is, you know, it's like if you're doing the reading in, your own like little demon cave up there. <laughs> it's going to be really different from when it comes out your mouth because you shape things with your mouth and you're used to doing different things with your mouth and you have habits of speech and communication, which are valuable, you know, not just to other people, but to yourself. That's really interesting. Right. Yeah. Because the, uh, in the beginning was the word, not the thought. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I absolutely. And the word moved upon the face of the waters, you know, that's that's a Kabbalistic thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, but we should probably stop. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, and so things end also with an with a word. Um, so thank you for recording with me. Well, thank uh, you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So for those of you who can't wait to see what's next, um, what's next in about two minutes after we take a break <laughs> is the uh, the Fortunes Wheelhouse sequel. To this exciting conversation, <laughs> yes, that's right. in which we will discuss probably some of the things I've jotted down sloppily on my notebook, and some of the things yes. uh, Susan has. Um, I'm guessing your penmanship is much better than mine. I have no idea. It depends on which me, which of me you get. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Remember, it's the same axis, you know. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks for thanks for coming on, and I'll see the rest of you later.